Tonight we continue a series that is called Love Revolution. We're studying the letters written by the Apostle John at the end of the first century. Now all of John's writing is crammed into just a few years at the end of his life. We haven't heard anything from him up until now. Of course, he was there during the Gospels and there during the book of Acts, but there isn't one of his sermons recorded anywhere in the New Testament. Peter and Paul have done most of the preaching, and of course, Paul has done nearly all of the writing. But now, they're all gone. Martyred about three decades earlier, along with everybody else, Matthew, Mark, Luke, James, Jude, they have left John as the last man standing in the New Testament church, the sole surviving apostle of the first century, and it's been so for the past 30 years. And now somebody needs to say something because truth is being attacked even by those who call themselves Christians. And so John, who is known universally even today as the apostle of love, John picks up his pen to write a gospel, a vision, and three letters. But these letters are not what you might think. Because the love that the apostle of love writes about is different than what we hear about in so many places today. This is not a love that takes you down the road of tolerance. This is a love that takes you down the road of truth. Because telling the truth is the most loving thing you could ever do for anyone or anyone could ever do for you. John's letters that we have been studying, they are not only about God's love toward us, but they're also about our love toward God. It's a reciprocal love. It is a love revolution. And so we begin tonight where we left off last week. 1 John chapter 2 and verse 18. Little children, that's his term of affection for these believers. Little children, it is the last time. And as you have heard that Antichrist shall come, even now there are many Antichrists, whereby we know this is how we know that it is the last time. John uses a word in his letters that no other New Testament writer uses, Antichrist. This is the sinister title of a despotic ruler who will come to power in the last of the last days. He is known by multiple names in scripture. The man of sin, the son of perdition, the vile person, the lawless one, and the beast. His entire motivation will be to oppose God's kingdom and destroy God's people. But the Apostle John is referring right here to something broader than just the person of the Antichrist, who even in our day is yet to appear on the world stage. John is referring to something broader than that. He's referring to the spirit of the Antichrist, which is already active in the world. It was true in his day, and it's especially true in our day. In fact, there are many Antichrist spirits, he says, that are working against God's people. 
I had Eric Porter, our wonderful uh, secretary treasurer, our administrator. I had him searching through my old Bible school notes that I used to teach uh, the students here at the school in Fredericton, looking for a quote today, and uh, he found it for me. You see, John's words here are what Bible prophecy scholars, what they call a proleptic prophecy. This is a scriptural statement that has a meaning for its immediate hearers, which would be the people who read John's epistle, but it also anticipates or foreshadows later, even greater events. Sir Francis Bacon, an English philosopher whose works are credited with developing the scientific method, he had this to say about prophecy, Bible prophecy. And this is the quote that Eric found for me today. Prophecies are of the nature of the author with whom a, a thousand years are as one day. And therefore, prophecies are not fulfilled punctually at once, but they have a springing, a, a growing and germinant accomplishment through many years though the height and, fulfill, and fullness of them may refer to one age. What Sir Francis Bacon was saying is that because time doesn't matter to God, one day with him is as a thousand years. God can speak something in John's day, and it's true for John's readers and his hearers, but it's even more true for us today because over the last 2,000 years, that prophecy has germinated. It has sprung up. It has grown. And so if these things were true in John's day, and they were, there were many antichrist spirits, you know that they are exponentially more true as we face the last of the last days. Jesus taught his disciples that there would be many false voices in the last days. He said there would both be false teachers of Christ and false ideas of Christ. And this is what we see today. Jesus warned them that these lies, these deceptions would look and feel so much like the truth that they would even have the potential of deceiving the people of God. Here's what Jesus said. For there shall arise false Christs. The Greek word there is pseudo-Christos, which means exactly what you think it should mean. Pseudo-Christ, false Christ. And there will arise false prophets, people who preach these false ideas of Christ. And they will show great signs and wonders insomuch that if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. All of which tells us that we need to walk very carefully in the end times. Now remember, when it comes to the person and the spirit of the Antichrist, the prefix anti, Antichrist, it has two meanings. It means against, but it also means instead of. Even right now, even tonight in our world, before the person of Antichrist is revealed, the spirit of Antichrist is at work. And that subtle but sinister world system, it is lying to us as I speak. It is lying to us right now. It is lying to us in the media sphere, in the entertainment sphere, in the political sphere, even in the religious sphere. It either 
opposes Christ or it tries to replace Christ. But John is most concerned not about the Antichrist spirit working in the cultural, political, educational, or religious systems of the world. That's not what troubles John. Rather, he is most concerned about the impact of this false spirit, this Antichrist spirit, this instead of Christ, replacing Christ spirit. He's most concerned about its effect on individuals who call themselves Christians, even those who once were a part of the apostolic church. Here's what he says about those that have succumbed to the pervasive, deceptive spirit of Antichrist. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us. But they went out, they left the apostolic church, they left truth that it might be made manifest that they were not all of us. Now those are strong words from the apostle of love. He speaks very directly here. He needs to. He's the last man standing in the New Testament as far as apostles are concerned. If these people who have discarded apostolic doctrine, if they had been genuinely serving God, John says they would still be part of the apostolic church. They would have continued with us. But God allowed their true motives to be exposed when they went out, when they left truth. Also, it could become apparent John says, so it could be made manifest. It could become apparent and obvious that they never did believe the truth. They always had an anti-apostolic agenda. You see, the lying spirit of Antichrist has a sinister slogan. It sounds so smooth and palatable. It even sounds sensible to many people. But it's a sinister slogan. And the Antichrist system has this motto. It makes no difference what you believe just as long as you're sincere. We're all going to the same place anyway, so let's just love Jesus and forget doctrine. It is the sinister song that lulls a generation to sleep. And it comes from the active spirits of Antichrist that are working in our world. Nothing could be further from the truth than that statement I just read, biblically speaking. It does matter what you believe. It takes more than sincerity to make something true. Brothers and sisters, faith in a lie will always cause serious, even eternal consequences. I've often said this, it's easy to recognize this falling away from truth that will happen in the last days because the Bible is so clear in its prophecies. It's easy to recognize the falling away, but it's so difficult to realize that some of the people involved in this falling away from truth will be those we knew and loved and had fellowship with. That is the saddest situation that will be revealed in the end times. 
That's why Paul warned the Thessalonians. He said, let no man deceive you by any means. For that day shall not come except before the Lord gets back here, there shall come a falling away first and that man of sin be revealed the son of perdition. Sometime between the rapture of the church and the great coming of the Lord in the clouds with his people to interrupt the battle of Armageddon somewhere in that seven year span, probably early, the Antichrist will be revealed. And if we're already seeing a falling away now, even before the rapture takes place, you know it's going to be religious chaos one second after the rapture of the church. So here, tonight, is the big question for the end times. It's the question I have for you tonight. With all of hell's attacks, with all of the devil's cunning, with all of the world's animosity and all of culture's immorality and with all of the lying spirits of Antichrist arrayed against the apostolic church, how in the world are we going to survive? Here's John's answer. You better stay prayed up in the Holy Ghost. He said, but in the face of all of this falling away, in the face of the lying spirits of Antichrist, you have an unction, you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you know all things. John said, I haven't written unto you because you don't know the truth. I've written to you because you know the truth, and you also know that no lie, no matter how convincing, no matter how smooth, no matter how much religion or culture or anybody loves it, no lie is of the truth. The false Christians in John's day, they used two special words to describe their experience. They used the word knowledge, that was a big deal, and they used the word unction. They claimed, these are people that had known truth, had known Jesus, had been in the church, but now they had left. And they've gone back to the beggarly elements of the world, all the while calling themselves Christians. They claim to have a special unction, a special anointing from God, which gave them a new revelation of freedom. They were illuminated, and so therefore they were liberated. Liberated from apostolic truth, which they now considered to be bondage. But John fires up and he says, no, it is the apostolic church that has the real unction, that has the real anointing. Our anointing comes from the Holy One and because we know the truth, we can recognize the lie. When the world around us doesn't recognize that they're being lied to, apostolic people filled with the Holy Ghost, prayed up in the Spirit, they can recognize the lie of the Antichrist spirit of our age. Remember that John, this man, this apostle of the first century, he wrote the oneness gospel. And here he begins to echo some of Jesus' teaching. John tells us, he said it in his gospel, he says it again in this letter, the Son and the Father are one. But the spirit of Antichrist denies this revelation of the oneness of God. Those who leave this truth always begin to associate with those who deny this truth. 
Here's what he says. Who is a liar but the one that would deny that Jesus is the Christ? He is antichrist. He's bought the lie. He is antichrist that denieth the Father and the Son. Whosoever denieth the Son, the same hath not the Father, but he that acknowledgeth the Son hath the Father also. What is John getting into here? He's echoing what he said in his gospel, truly the oneness gospel of the four. And he's echoing the words that Jesus spoke to him. We talked about Jesus' statements two weeks ago. Jesus said, he that has seen me has seen the Father. Jesus said, the Father is in me and I in him. Jesus said, I pray for my church that they may be one even as we are one. Jesus said, I and my Father are one. And Jesus even told the Jews before Abraham was I am. What are you saying, Jesus? I'm saying that I am almighty God, the one who created this world, the one who walked with my people in the Old Testament, and the one who rode myself in flesh. And John said, if you want to know what the spirit of Antichrist will go up against first, it is that revelation that Jesus is almighty God, that Jesus is one God with all the lying spirits arrayed against the apostolic church, how in the world are we going to survive? Well, John has another answer. You stay prayed up in the Holy Ghost and don't you dare depart from the doctrine that you were taught. Stay close to your pastor and stay close to your church. It has always been important, but in the last days, it will be absolutely critical. Without close fellowship around the truth, you will not survive the end times. John said, let that therefore abide in you, which you have heard from the beginning. Don't stray. Don't wander from what you were taught. If that which you have heard from the beginning shall remain in you, you also shall continue in the Son and in the Father. This is the promise that he hath promised us even eternal life. John said, let this truth, let what you were taught from the beginning, when you first learned about Jesus, apostolics, let this truth abide in you. That word abide means let it stay, let it remain, let it dwell, let it endure in you. The truth you heard from the beginning. The truth the elders taught you. John said, don't you ever change it. Don't you ever let go of it. Don't you ever walk away from it. That truth is anchored in who Jesus is. And that truth leads us to eternal life. He says, these things have I written unto you concerning those that are trying to seduce you. There's a seductive spirit that comes along with the last days and the end times. There's a seducing spirit in the teachings and the doctrine and the lifestyle that the Antichrist would like to infiltrate into the apostolic church. John said, but the anointing which you have received of him, here's how you combat it. That anointing abideth in you and you need not that any man teach you but as the same anointing teacheth you of all things and it is truth and it is no lie and even as it hath 
taught you in the past, you shall abide in him. That's how you survive the end times. That's how you survive the last days. That's how church, that's how brothers and sisters, you make it through to the rapture. You abide in him. You let truth abide in you. You let the Holy Ghost abide in your everyday life. John emphatically declares, I'm writing because of all those who have left the truth because now they're trying to seduce you into following them out of truth. The word seduce means to deceive, mislead, to wander, to stray from truth. You see, brothers and sisters, the devil is out in full force in the end times and he's trying to do exactly that. He's trying to deceive you, to mislead you, to get you to wander or to stray away from the truth. But remember, it's not just this nebulous spirit of the devil or spirit of the Antichrist that you can't see. The devil always uses people to accomplish his purpose. So please beware of false doctrine, false teachers, and even false Christians. They were everywhere in John's day, and you better believe they are everywhere in our day. John said, but wait a minute. That's them. But you... You have that Holy Ghost anointing. You have that unction. The word unction means an, an oil that is rubbed in. It's a powerful anointing. He said, you have that anointing from God and it abides in you. It resides in you. In the Old Testament, when priests were anointed, the anointing was applied to their right ear, to their thumb, and to their big toe. It was a symbolic gesture so that they might hear the word of God and do the work of God and walk in the way of God. So when John says, you don't need any man to teach you, or when he says, this anointing will teach you all things, he is not for a second attacking the biblical role of a teacher or a pastor. In this passage, he's speaking specifically of those who have walked away from truth. They have discarded apostolic doctrine and distinctives. They have left behind the anointing and the power of the Holy Ghost. And John says, you don't need any of those people. You don't need any of those men to teach you. Because your experience with God, if you'll abide in Jesus and let his truth abide in you, your experience with God will teach you all that you need to know. They are telling a lie with their lives. Whether they realize it or not, they're telling a lie with their very lives when they walk away from truth. So John says, so you, you be careful, apostolic believer, to abide in the truth which you have been taught. And we know that Jesus is that truth. He uses his term of affection again. And now, little children... Here's what I'm telling you. Here's what I'm asking you. Here's what I'm begging you to do. As we face down the spirits of Antichrist that are trying to invade and infiltrate the church. And now, little children, abide in him that when he shall appear, when Jesus comes back, we shall have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone that doeth righteousness is born 
of him. John says, here's what you've got to do in the last of the last days. Here's what you've got to do when the Antichrist is trying to beat down the door of your heart and beat down the door of the apostolic church and infiltrate and invade with false teaching and false lifestyle and false experience. Here's what you got to do. Abide in Jesus. Live every day. And make every decision so that you stay, remain, dwell, endure in Jesus. You want to be living close to Jesus at the moment he returns. Folks, this is what's so dangerous spiritually about where we are right now in our world. We are doing social distance. But social distance can lead to spiritual isolation. You be very careful that even when your government won't allow you to come to the church building where you normally worship with the family of God, you be very careful that because you can't get here that you don't just press pause and say, well, I guess I'll wait to pray. I'll wait to worship. I'll wait to attend. I'll, I'll wait to sync up with my church and my pastor. I'll wait until this is over. You have no idea how long we might be waiting until this is over. So John said, don't you dare chance it. You want to be living close to Jesus when he appears. You want to have confidence in your relationship with God on that day. And you certainly don't want to have let compromise into your life at that moment when you finally see him. Now here's a question. How do you know that your relationship with God is okay? Well, John says you can discern the level of your spirituality by observing the level of God's righteousness in your life. He said, if you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone that is doing righteousness, they are born of him. The world sees that as rules of legalism, that we would do righteousness. Oh, that's just rules of legalism, but the church an apostolic believer doesn't see it as rules of legalism. They, say the, they see this as the response of love. And John says, Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed on us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. What amazing, miraculous love God has bestowed on his children. We, who were the children of sin, we are now called the children of God. And that salvation experience, John says, it makes us vastly different from the culture around us. There has always been a dividing line between God's people and the world. They didn't understand Jesus, so don't expect them to understand the church either. He says, beloved, now are we the sons of God and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him for we shall see him as he is. Our relationship with God is present. We live it every day. But it's also future. He said, right now we are the sons of God. But there's another part that hasn't happened yet. It doth not yet appear what we shall be. But that's going to change at the rapture. Because we know 
that at the moment he appears, we shall be like him. Because in that moment, we will finally see him as he is. Right now, we feel his spirit and we love his presence. But then we will be face to face with our Redeemer and Savior. We are right now the children of God, but we won't experience the fullness of that relationship until the rapture. Think of it. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, we will see him. And when we see him, we will be like him. Right now, our spirit is redeemed, our body is unredeemed, and our mind is the battleground between the two. Let me say that again. Right now, you are a child of God, but let's be very clear. Your spirit is redeemed, your body is unredeemed, and your mind is the battleground between the two. But on that day, we will receive a glorified body just like Jesus. So I say with John, behold what manner of love this is. And then he adds, and every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself, even as he, even as Jesus is pure. John's saying, if you have a genuine relationship with God, if you are really living your life today in light of that day, then the hope that is in you will make you holy. Because your Savior is pure, and because you are in fellowship with him, you will live a pure life. You will live in light of that hope. You will live ready for his coming. The first three verses of this chapter that we've just read, they are beautifully woven together by John. Verse 1 tells us what we are. He said, we are the sons of God. Verse 2 tells us what we shall be. We shall be like him. And verse 3 tells us what we should be. It says we should be pure and holy. No matter which direction Christians may look, we find a good reason to obey God's commandments. It's right here in these verses. If we look back, we see the cross where Jesus died for us. And that makes us so thankful that we want to obey his commandments. He gave everything for us. If we look around, we see a lost world that doesn't understand us. And sometimes, quite frankly, they are against us. And that makes us careful to obey God's commandments. If we look ahead, we see the return of Jesus coming at us. And that makes us watchful to obey his commandments. And if we look within, we see the Holy Ghost that he gave us. And that causes us to be faithful to obey his commandments. So if you look back, you're thankful enough to obey him. If you look around, you're careful enough to obey him. If you look ahead, you're watchful enough to obey him. And if you look within, you are faithful enough to obey his commandments. And this brings John full circle back around to the principle he has already emphasized so strongly in this letter. 
He has taught us, and he says it again here, real Christians, genuine Christians, do not live in habitual sin. He says, whosoever committeth sin transgresseth also the law. For sin, by definition, sin is the transgression of the law. Remember, we talked about this earlier in this series. Remember that when you see the suffix E-T-H, on the end of any word in the King James Version of the Scripture, it means a continuing action. We don't talk with that suffix anymore, F. But in the King James Version, if you see a word ending in E-T-H, F, it means a continuing action. It doesn't just happen one time. So what John is saying is anyone who continuously commits sin, they are continuously transgressing God's law. And a person who continuously transgresses God's law, they cannot go to heaven. So it's a very serious thing. Transgression simply means lawlessness. That's what it means. So please... Beware of people who are always downplaying, disrespecting, and disregarding God's law and his commandments because transgression is lawlessness. Transgression is living without law and a person who transgresses God's law continuously, they can't go to heaven. John said, and you know that he was manifested to take away our sins. And in him is no sin. So here he goes with the ETH again. Whosoever abideth in him sinneth not. Whosoever sinneth hath not seen him, neither known him. So again, notice the suffix ETH. The reason God manifested himself in flesh was so that he could take the penalty of our sins when he died on the cross. That's why he was manifested. It was to take away our sins. In Jesus, there is no sin. So very frankly, a sinner cannot fellowship with a holy God. A sinner cannot have a relationship with a holy God. But here's the great privilege of the salvation experience. Because we have repented of our sin, we have been forgiven of our sin, and we can now have a relationship with our holy God. John says, anyone who continuously abides in Jesus will not continuously commit sin. Yes, they may make a mistake. They may stumble. They might sin. They may fail. They may fall. But they will not stay there. They refuse to stay in that state. They will repent as quickly and as sincerely as possible so that their relationship with God can be restored. Christians are not perfect, but they are forgiven. All because of the beauty of repentance and God's grace and mercy. But again, John says, anyone who continuously sins, regardless of how much church talk you hear from them, regardless of how uh, they, they look or what they say or what they do, how they appear, anyone who continuously sins, he said, they're a fraud and they're a phony. They have not seen God and they do not know God. 
it doesn't matter what their reputation is. The only reputation that matters is their reputation with God in heaven. So he's very serious here. And one more time, he uses that beautiful term of affection. He's like a father in the faith to these Christians that he's writing to. He said, little children, let no man deceive you. It's as plain as the nose on your face. It's obvious in scripture. Let nobody deceive you. He that doeth righteousness is righteous even as God, even as Jesus is righteous. Doeth, E-T-H. This is a person who continuously lives a righteous life. They are saved because they continuously live a righteous life. That doesn't mean that they're perfect. It doesn't mean they never make a mistake or never fail God. But it means that to the best of their ability, every day they are continuously living a righteous life. These are the people that are righteous in God's sight. He says in verse 8, On the other hand, he that committeth sin is of the devil. Now that's pretty strong. For the devil sinneth from the beginning. It is for this purpose that the Son of God was manifested. This is why Jesus came to earth in a body of flesh in the first place so that he might destroy the works of the devil. I know Jesus took away the power of Satan's kingdom and his authority when he took the keys of death and hell and the grave and he came out of the tomb. But it's more than that. It's more specific than that. He didn't only destroy the works of the devil for eternity. He destroyed the works of the devil that had power over you. He came for you. He died for you. He rose for you. And so John uses the word committeth. This is a person who continuously commits sin. He that committeth sin. They continually sin. Sin is a normal habit of everyday life for them. He said they are of the devil. They are lost. It doesn't matter how much they go to church. It doesn't matter how many sermons they listen to. If they continuously commit sin, they are lost. And I just have to add what a tragedy that is when Jesus died, when he gave his own life to destroy the devil's power over them. They don't have to live that way, but they choose to live that way. John's coming to the end of this particular section. He says, whosoever is born of God doth not, doth not, T-H. They don't continuously, habitually commit sin, the person who's born of God. For God's seed remaineth in him. This is a strong statement. He cannot sin because he is born of God. Now, John already told us in chapter one, you'll remember, he said, if you say you don't have any sin, you're lying. So he's not saying there that, that you literally can't commit sin. He's saying that while you're abiding in Christ, while you're following the Holy Ghost, while you're letting God's spirit make your decisions and, 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 and set your direction every day, it's a continuous habit. While you are in that abiding state in Christ, it's impossible for you to sin. You're following the Lord. You're praying in the spirit. You're worshiping him. See, the devil doesn't attack you when you're doing all those things. He attacks you when you slack off, when you ease back. 
He attacks you in your weak moments when you're not praying like you should. You're not worshiping like you should. That is, again, the danger of where we are right now with all of our pandemic restrictions that keep you from accountability to your local church and they keep you from attendance at the house of God and they keep you from close fellowship with other believers. Please hear, Pastor, tonight. Do not let what we're going through in this year of 2021, do not let that sever you or divide you or pull you away from your connection with God because if you get pulled out of that connection if that connection gets disrupted you will fall into sin but if you keep plugged in you can't sin while you're plugged into God you can't do wrong while you're plugged into his spirit so it's so important that we pray in the spirit that we worship in the spirit that we walk in the spirit that we live in the spirit you're not perfect when you're doing those things You're not a sinless being when you're doing those things. But you are a being, a person, a human being that is walking in the Spirit. And while God's Spirit is controlling you, it's impossible. You cannot sin. So John's really saying, make sure you're prayed up. Make sure you're walking in truth. Make sure you don't stray from what you've been taught. Because if you do, you're going to be a victim of the spirits of Antichrist that are circulating in the world and circulating in culture. He says, in this, the children of God are manifest and the children of the devil. This is how you tell the difference. The people that are walking in the spirit and staying away from habitual sin. And also, on the other hand, the people that are serving the world, serving the flesh, serving the devil, and they habitually commit sin. He said, it's this, this distinction This contrast that makes manifest who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. It's very plain. He said, whosoever doeth not righteousness is not of God, neither he that loveth not his brother. That's his segue to what we will discuss next week. There are two things that identify an apostolic believer. One is they do righteousness. They obey the commandments of God. They have a lifestyle that reflects his holiness. That's one thing. But apostolics, the other thing is, they not only live a righteous life, they love God's family. And John said, it's obvious. It's apparent. It's made manifest by your actions whose child you are. If you're a child of God, or if you're a child of the world, the flesh, and the devil. Real Christians live a righteous life and they love God's family. And John will talk about loving God's family in the last half of chapter 3 and we'll discuss it next week. Otherwise, if you don't live a righteous life and if you don't love God's family, regardless of what you say you are, regardless of what you pretend to be, John says you are not of God. Brothers and sisters, it's incredibly important that in the last of the last days and in the end of the end times, we are very, very serious about our relationship with God. I know for many of you, it's very difficult right now. I know for so many of you that your absence from the house of God by factors beyond your control, it's restrictions dealing with a pandemic and it's so frustrating, it's so isolating, it's so damaging. I know right now is a difficult time. 
But I exhort you. I beseech you. I beg of you. If there was any time in the history of the church, if there was any time during your life when you need to be very careful about walking daily with God. See, that's the trick. It's not just when you're at church. Church is a strength to you. But what are you going to do when you're prevented from attending church services for a number of weeks, as has been the case for over 10 months? What are you going to do when that's restricted, when that's prohibited? John says, here's what you've got to do. You have got to stay prayed up in the Spirit. You've got to abide in Him. There's got to be a daily connection between you and God. And you've got to stay strong, stand firm in the truth that you have been taught. And don't let the lies of the Antichrist, don't let the seduction of those that have discarded truth and, and disowned truth and walked away from truth, don't let the lies that are floating around in even Christianity today, don't let them deceive you or seduce you.